This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mania. And I'm Luca Olivier-Dumeble. And our topic this week is... Car subscription services. A topic that mixes two stuff I like. Technology and cars. Yeah, and I've been wanting to talk about this too, so... Um, oh, I'm surprised. Yeah. But first, we have some follow-up. Uh, do you want to go first or do I go first? No, I'll go first. Okay, so I have three items of follow-up. Uh, the first is, I told you so to everybody about the Twitter <laughs> oh streaming API. Uh, oh my goodness. So shortly after we released that episode about micro.blog and Twitter alternatives, uh, two things happened. TweetBot 3 was released for the Mac, uh, which I purchased, and... I did so too. Yeah, gotta support the Twitter third-party market while it still exists. And the second thing is that on the last episode, I also claimed that I was very doubtful that the new APIs that would be replacing the streaming API would be able to do anything useful and that it would basically only be able to give you uh, notifications on various activity things that happen on your account, like at replies, like uh, phase and retweets and all that stuff. Now that is still available in what they call the activity API. However, uh, the pricing for the API is absolutely nuts. It comes out to about $10 a user for applications with, I believe, 2,500 users and up, uh, which is most of the big third-party clients that are left. Uh, so it is pretty much unfeasible for those clients to continue to uh, offer push notifications and uh, streaming with regards to those types of updates within the application. Oh, I'll interrupt you. I'll just like to mention it's $10 per user per month. You forgot to mention Yes, that's true. Part. That's true per month. Because if it, it would have been per year, you know what? We all, like... I think we both we do both like Twitter, uh, uh, Tweetbot or Twitterific. And if it were like ten dollars per year, I would like greatly pay it, and I wouldn't care. I but mean, that's pretty much what month, we do, just buying the paid upgrades to the app already, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Um, there has been some debate in the community as to whether this kills third-party clients off or not. I think the big one that a lot of people are being bothered by is direct message notifications are now basically non-existent uh, unless you pay for this API, which means that direct messages as a means of communication on Twitter is going to become significantly less useful for a lot of people who use third-party apps very soon. It's surprising, though, because from what I've heard, uh, those the direct messages are still part of the delayed notification part of the, of the current API. Well, it's it's not really delay notifications. It's you have to fetch them. Yeah, yeah. So they might come. Uh, worst case, not become uh, every and come in every minute. So it's still well. There. there, there's a catch for that, which is I believe every user has a pool of how many. Like, there's a rate limit not only by client but also by user. And if a server is pulling, it's basically taking away from your ability to make API requests, which means your rate limit basically is reduced by this, whereas it wasn't previously when everything was streaming through, which means you you might hit the rate limit faster. Now, this might not be an issue for you if you only use Twitter in one place, let's say the desktop, but if you have multiple computers that are running TweetBot at the same time, those are going to be pulling, so now your rate limit is building up much faster because there's no streaming on the back end, which I believe think is an inconvenience that some people might run into uh, as soon as these changes go live this summer. Uh, we're spending way more time than we actually should on these changes, <laughs> but third-party clients, not dead yet. Support them while you can, but don't expect a long period of support or of usefulness uh, going forward for third-party clients on Twitter. Yeah, and I think, uh, maybe we'll end on that, is I think 
if you want our own personal opinion, the fact that we both bought TwitBot 3 is kind of a good indication that if we are worried, we're not too worried about those changes. Next up is some news that I am surprising Nico Review with because apparently he hasn't seen this news. I haven't seen this news. Nintendo is now selling a cheaper Switch bundle without a dock in Japan. It's called the Switch Second Unit Set, and it costs oh. 24,980 yen or 226 US dollars instead of the usual 33,000 yen, which is 300 US dollars. So, 80 to 70 dollar discount uh on the Switch. The catch is no dock, no AC adapter, but if you're primarily planning to use it as a handheld, which you probably should because it's a shitty home console, uh, you can do so for a reduced price. Oh, wait, wait, so no AC adapter? No, it's like the 3DS where they basically assume if you're buying this, like the name says it, it's the second unit set. Yeah, it yeah, assumes you already have a dock at home and you already have uh, an AC adapter. Um, I guess the plus is I think like usually if you go to the Nintendo store on the website, it costs like $10 to get an extra adapter. So that shouldn't be an issue. It's only if you want the dock that then it actually will probably end up costing you more long term than right, because just buying a bundle. hundred like it isn't it like ninety nine USD or something like that? Uh I I thought it was eighty, but it might be a hundred. Oh maybe. Yeah, it may oh it's maybe eighty USD and then a hundred Canadian. That that could be the case. Huh. but still like even if you take that kind of that bundle and to consider it as kind of a three D US replacement bundle. Just yep. like stretching it a bit. The fact that you don't have at least a USB-C cable is a bit uh, jarring to me because if the goal is to be your second one, like you've described, it might be that you want it to be play on the go more than the other one or as a 3DS replacement. I do expect that you'll be playing on the go and I guess a USB-C to USB-A cable would be uh, really good because I'm not sure USB-C cables are that cheap that they can be like paid for like $10 on the Nintendo store, like a 3DS uh, AC adapter? Well, e- even then, like, since I know the Japanese electronics store market a lot more than I do here, um, Japanese electronics stores have plenty of cheap USB-C cables that you can go out and buy, so that is probably not an issue if you're in Japan. It's, they seem to be much more plentiful there than they are here, so. Hmm, okay. Uh, and no word for North American or European release yet. Okay, so that could explain why I didn't hear anything about that. Possibly. Or maybe they're saving it for A3, who knows. Huh. Uh, and last but not least, some semi-mobile payments news. Uh, I, I am celebrating with some whiskey tonight. Um, I have Whoa. a Glen Cairn with some whiskey here in front because contactless transit cards are, la- are launching in Trois-Rivières tomorrow. Breaking news what? as of today. What, you're going to get Opus? Like the rest of Quebec? No. Oh my god, Really? <laughs> Uh, I I don't know if it is like a network thing with Opus, but the card is called Cité. It's launching in Trois-Rivières tomorrow. Uh, they're giving it free of charge alongside $10 of prepaid bus credit or a monthly pass until the month of October. Uh, so I need to buy a monthly pass coming up for the month of June. So I will be getting my contactless transit card soon. And finally, the readers that have been installed in buses since the month of December will be able to be used for something and I won't have to flash a stupid, flimsy little cardboard card at the bus driver every time I get on the bus. Wow, okay. I really wanted to look into this. I'm not sure if I have time. Oh, my goodness. Trying to find the STTR website uh, through DuckDuckGo is... It's sttr.qc.ca. Oh, my goodness. 
Okay. okay. I don't know if they've posted anything about it on the website, but they have sent out a mailing list thing, and it no, has it been in all it the says, newspapers. Uh, Carte Cité here. Yep. And they also talk about the Transit app, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I know you love talking about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I guess we should explain for the listeners. So one of the regional newspapers here, uh, it's called Lebdo. Uh, it's a weekly newspaper. Every time they talk to the Transit Authority, they misunderstand what they're talking about. And so every time they write a new story about the Transit Authority, they say they're working on a new app. They have never released an app. They don't have anyone developing an app for them, as far as I know. They only make their uh, data available in Google Transit format so that, first of all, Google Maps can use it. And second of all, the Transit app can use it. But every time they make it sound in their articles like our Transit Authority is the developer of the Transit app. And it makes me furious. And I think I eat IIM you every single time that I read one of those stories. I'm like... I'm infuriated because they still haven't figured out that nobody in uh, the Transit Authority is actually developing an app, and they don't understand a fucking thing about what they're talking about. Huh, okay, I'm quickly looking at it. It seems to be not like Opus, because Opus is with tickets, and this one seems to be kind of a, uh, a virtual wallet. I might be wrong just quickly looking at it, but that's interesting. I have to look into that. Uh, let's talk about that after the episodes, but oh well. So good news for you. You're Yeah, I, I don't know very many of the details aside from what has been said publicly about it because nobody has been talking about it until today. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, this news came out today, and I am very excited. Good. So I hear you have some follow-up. Yes. Uh, in episode 84, I described how I would... L- Reimagine CarPlay. Remember, I was talking about CarPlay, but something I talked in great length in that episode was the lack of third-party navigation apps. And at that time, I was demonstrating. I was talking about one specific example, uh, ways which I've uh, will start be reusing during the summer season. Like I was describing, I use it mainly to go to the racetrack during rush hour. And in January, Ford announced that what I was about to say was <laughs> again, but oh my goodness! Thank you, Yannick. I'm getting my man is getting corrupted because of your jokes. But uh, Ford announced that Waze was coming to their Ford Sync platform, and now it's finally here. So with the latest Sync update 3.0 and up, or an, and an iPhone running iOS 11.3 and the latest version of Waze. You can mirror it through your car's display, not through CarPlay, but through the Sync platform system. Uh, but sadly, I'm I'm kind of a bit busy these days, so I had that I don't have the time to update the car. Feels, let's be honest for a second. I know it will be kind of part of my topic, but updating a car, saying that you need to update the car, always feels weird to me. But it's not the car updating, but even then, all of this like. Like computer jumbo uh, language about uh, applied to the car is feeling a bit weird to me. But still, uh, I guess once I install the sync update and I have time to try it a few times, I'll report back here and what I like and what I dislike about it. So stay tuned. And before we fully move to the my topic about car subscription, I do have three uh, programming notes for the podcast. Uh, as I've been teasing in the last few episodes, uh, I won't be in Montreal for Apple's WWDC, even if I didn't win a ticket, I'll be at AllConf. And that is happening in about two weeks. Sadly, this also means that when you'll be listening my beautiful vo- to my beautiful voice, uh, 
we will need to record another episode during the WWDC and Yannick decided to do something special. He decided to replace me for two weeks. And do you want to tease the guests and or the topic, Yannick? Nope. Oh my, oh my. So Yannick is is bringing in a good friend and they're talking about something. Something we're both very passionate about. Okay, that's good of a tease. That's good of a tease. Uh, so yeah, so uh, our next episode, which is usually a Yen- which should have been a Yannick topic, will be a Yannick topic, but without me. Uh, secondly, our my next episode, and I'll be spoiling it already, will be our typical post WWDC episode. But like last year, uh, we will do a post WWDC episode that we will dissect dissect some. Uh, sessions. So remember last episode where I was talking about maybe identifying uh, four or three to five session that you should really watch uh, religiously. Um, then our next, uh, our my next topic episode will be something like that where I, I don't I haven't defined the numbers, but I guess if it's like here, like last year, we'll dissect four session, two by me and two by Nick. Actually, can I go on a short tangent? Of course. Okay. You may have heard that Swift is now being used by Google in certain types of applications. In fact, uh, by the TensorFlow team, which is um, machine learning model yep. stuff. There was a session introducing this by Chris Latner, which was kind Ooh. of mind-blowing to watch. Uh, it lays out the case like, this is not just a political play because the guy who made Swift is now working on TensorFlow. It's we have valid reasons to actually be adapting Swift. Please believe me. That is sort of the pitch for the session. And it was actually kind of mind blowing to see a keynote for, well, not a keynote, but a a session for a Google event where most of the time is spent in Xcode on a Mac writing Swift. It was very surreal and I'm hoping for something at least that weird to be, happen this year at WWDC. If not, maybe you will. I'll. If not, I will allow this session to be dissected <laughs> just because it's about Swift. It's actually really interesting. Uh, but yeah, so we'll figure it out. Uh, there might be some incredibly interesting stuff at WWDC, which is not quite as weird as the session that might pique my interest a bit more, but we'll see. Yeah. Last but not least, uh, some of you might already know. I'm not sure, but I think we nonchalantly uh, mentioned it in the past few episodes. But Yannick is going back to Japan in July. Woo-hoo! And I'm moving. And you're moving. into. That's true. So all of this is to say that we will take a short uh, time off during the summer to let Yannick do all of this and also to enjoy uh, the summer uh, we will keep you posted with the exact schedule uh, in the next few episodes, but uh, we don't know the, the current plan right now is either we don't we have one episode in July and then we'll be back end of August, or we'll have uh, no episode in July and be earlier in, in August. We still don't know the exact details yet, and we will keep you posted. I should also clarify, uh, due to the ordering of the things we said there, it might, might seem like I'm moving to Japan. I'm not moving to Japan. I'm I'm no. staying here in Trois-Rivières. I'm just moving and then going to Japan. Yes, you're moving to a new apartment and then going to vacation in Japan. Correct. Good. So let's move to my topic, unless you wanted to have another programming notes, but I don't think nope. you do. Good. 
So this topic started from a The Verge article again. I like a lot of my idea comes when I just like randomly scroll at Twitter. But this article was about CarPlay and CarPlay becoming a subscription service for BMW cars. So up till uh, to this year, CarPlay was a $300 option on a typical BMW. So you had to add the navigation system, but it's a $300 option on top of that. Uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, BMW announced that starting next year, they will offer CarPlay for free for the first year of ownership and then charge $80 per year for you to keep the service running in your car. And one point in the in the the verge article uh, that was interesting is is that the article itself was a quick interview with don smith technology product manager for bmw north america and one of his quotes during the interview struck me and he said the following of course of a three or four year lease it will still work out less money than the option is now so if you think about it what BMW is saying to kind of justify this move to a subscription service is for most of their customers, first of all, they'll be on leases and maybe the three to four year leases. And with that cac- with that math, you will end up paying, um, if it's three years, $240. And if it's four years, no, it will be four, four years, $240. And then it would be 164 I think I have my math wrong. No, one sixty for uh, three years because it's. I do. I need to do the minus one. See, I'm not even drinking whiskey. I'm just drinking water. And I'm already having my maths wrong. That's off to a good start. All of this is to say is they are like they are targeting their customer, and most of BMW's customer are using these, and they're using this reason to justify maybe moving to subscription services. So the justifying is like if BMW could justify a subscription service as being cheaper than the pay outright option, I do think that they could apply the same logic to the whole car itself. And that's kind of what they're doing and they're not the only one. This year, a lot of major car manufacturers decided to announce their own car subscription services and it kind of became a trend also since the beginning of 2018. A lot of also also a lot of Silicon Valley's companies and startups decided to uh, build their own fleet and their own service that is on the same premise. But before we move to those, uh, before we move and review those uh, offerings, I want to dive back to where subscriptions are quote unquote quite popular these days, and I want to talk about this quote unquote quite popular these days. And Yannick, I would like to guess you where subscriptions are popular these days. Software. Wow, you're good. You're good. You've done your own work. I'm happy. Yeah, well, it, it sort of came up at work because Adobe bought Magento, which is a big e-commerce platform. And Whoa, Adobe bought Magento? And- yeah, this is like two or three days ago. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, and so we were talking about like, hmm... Does this mean Magento gets wrapped into Creative Cloud, which is sort of Adobe's Creative Cloud thing? And also recently, I was helping my cousin understand how the licenses for Avid software works because he works in uh, video editing. And it is sort of a minefield to try to understand all of the different kinds of subscriptions you can have to various Avid products and all of that stuff. And of course, like even at the indie level on iOS nowadays, more and more... Applications with regular usage patterns are using 
subscriptions as a means to con- get sustainable funding because App Store economics suck. Wow, you're already kind of stealing some of my points, and I like that, as usual. But uh, yes, you uh, mentioned a lot of good points and bad points of subscription services on uh, the software side. If we start with kind of the premise of why, what is a subscription service, uh, you pay something, you pay a, a flat fee every month, and then you have access to a software compared to the previous uh, licenses based uh, revenue where you would pay a flat fee every maybe three, four, five years, uh, and then you would own the software forever. So that's the owning forever licenses, licenses, and then the like you pay to keep it uh, running. And let's be realistic: if you weren't a Mac user, you were probably buying a license one and using it once and using it until it broke and stopped working on your computer. And since you're probably running on Windows. It probably never broke because I know people who are still using Photoshop 7, which is my favorite version of Photoshop ever in the year of our Lord 2018. Wow, and and still works on Windows 10? Apparently. Wow. Okay, that's quite impressive. But yes, so if we take the... I don't want to call it legacy, but for the sake of the argument, let's call it legacy way of selling an app. So when software kind of started... Like people were applying the same logic of how you buy, how you sell physical good to people to software. So you pay a fixed pre, a fixed price, and then you own it forever. That was more or less the idea. And the forever part was kind of indefinite because software OS updates could break the software. And at a certain point, the uh, software manufacturer, let's call it this way. Uh, the developers would like to bring new functionalities and also bring new bug fixes, and they would put that into major versions where you have to pay either full price or upgrade pricings. And I think I would say that in general, most software that were built on this licenses scheme would have a major release every couple of years. So you would pay either full price of upgrade pricing to kind of incentivize you to upgrade but the idea is your quote-unquote subscription because if you think about it they want you to pay every time there's a new version was really based on the new functionality and based on a kind of three to uh, two to four years schedule but like Enik mentioned if you don't want to get the new software and the, new, the, the old software will still work on the new OS without being broken and we all know that Windows is especially good at keeping backward compatibility for all software you could pay once like let's say 150 dollars for some random software that i just invented and then you could run it from windows xp till windows 10 because if it uses api that didn't change in like the last 10 years it would still work and hopefully with the progress of all the hardware and computers will become faster and faster if we think about it just Broadly, I don't want to go into too much detail about how software is built, but you run the software, it works fine, and then you stop using it when it breaks. The main downside of this approach, and Yannick mentioned it, is with mobile and then now the the upcoming app stores, like the upbringing of the app store. Excuse me. More and more people want to pay zero dollars for an app, or if they want to pay for something. It's super hard for them to pay. So it, it like 
trying to sell a license, let's start to sell something that is not physical to people, is becoming and has been really hard in recent years. So uh, people are trying to find different ways to get either the same revenue as before or even better revenues to make sure that their app is still uh, stays sustainable. And the recent trend is to move to subscription service. I've seen really two main arguments for subscription-based revenue. First one is super easy to get to to estimate the the monthly money you'll receive from a customer base because if three people are paying ten dollars per month, you'll receive thirty dollars per month forever. Hopefully, uh, if if you're able to make sure that your customer will will stay around uh, month after month after month, uh, it's easier to plan your revenue uh, for the next few years then compared to oh will people update and i'm not sure and blah, blah blah of course you might have people that wants to unsubscribe but for that is good and since you know how like since you can do the calculation to have more consistent revenues it does mean that you should be able to have better sustainability of your software and your product and you're also hopefully your business on all of this comes to benefits for the users because if you're able to make money you will be able to make more features for them and then hopefully offer them good support so they want to stick and then it gets the ball rolling so they should be able to continue paying if i can offer a counterbalance to that though um one of the things of i had considered for a while was because when I, when i made iconoclasm early on i sort of messed up and i was like i'm going to put a bunch of features in iconoclasm and then what ended up happening is an OS update broke a bunch of those features and it took me, well, it took Apple a year to fix the bugs that were preventing me from actually re-implementing them. And then I re-implemented them and I basically decided from that point on, okay, this is the locked feature set that Iconoclasm can ever have. And from now on, I'm just maintaining the, uh, the stability of these features on new OS updates because I've been burnt already that by adding too many new features that I couldn't promise to support on future OS updates that my customers got angry at me. So I'm just going to say this is the new baseline and we're just going to cruise on stability mode. And it seems boring to the user because they're like, this feature, uh, this software never gets new features. But the flip side that they don't see is there is a significant amount of work with every major OS update to ensure that that baseline of functionality continues to work. I know that like talking about jailbreak software complicates things greatly because it's <laughs> not necessarily uh, applicable to real iOS software. But I, I think the subscription model, unfortunately, also disincentivizes valuing stability over functionality, if that makes sense. But you can also like position it as... Well, now that you're decoupled from major version releases because you're basically always getting the same revenue, whether it's a new version release or not, then you can just put little updates every once in a while. I don't know. It's complicated. It requires a big rethinking of your versioning strategy. You can't just take a typical versioning strategy and apply it to a subscription model. It doesn't really work. True. And uh, related to a lot of the points you just mentioned is... I felt that the previous scheme was really like putting the ownership and also putting the ownership burden on the users compared to with 
and I'm kind of spoiling some of my points, but that's okay. But compared to subscription, because like you said, if there's like monthly revenues coming to the business, it incentivizes the developers to make sure that they're always fixing the the latest bugs uh, to, and making sure that they are always compatible with the new OSs and new phone and all that stuff because they know people are using their software compared to you just get the big spike when you launch and then it goes flat down and then you need to have different ways to understand what are uh, different ways to understand what your user are doing and also what they are how many of them are still using your app after buying them because for most cases if you pay the subscription service it's because you're using it if not use if not you might create some subscription fatigue if you have too much subscription but before we talk about subscription fatigue i want to name a couple of examples of subscription services and i think the oldest one i have in mind is the way we get internet or before that is the way we talk with each other via the phone you rent a service through like the cable company your isp and then it feels to me that in the recent year they take this logic of either the cable subscription and then applying it to services of course the evolution to that is all of those music and video content services but if we take this example to the extreme where now it becomes really the software and a company just will see growth through uh subscription based revenue one of my favorite example and Yannick mentioned a lot of their past software is adobe adobe used to be one of the big will sell you a license for shit ton of money and will hopefully force you nearly force you to get the new license next year because we'll bring so much nice feature and so much evolution in a nice product that you'll want to pay again to use our new software because it evolves so much that you can continue working without it and uh, usually a photoshop license was seven hundred dollars right back in the days it was seven hundred dollars upgrade pricing was i think six hundred yeah maybe five six hundred like it's, it was not that cheaper but just just enough to tell to let you feel like oh you're a good customer if i do be so they give you a deal yeah if you were really lucky if you could cash in on educational pricing because you got a significant discount there yeah, yeah, it was mainly fifty uh, percent off. But now it's, if I recall correctly, a hundred dollars per month, something, something I like that. I didn't look at it. It depends what you're actually getting. I think one hundred dollars per month is if you get the entire uh, Creative Cloud suite of products, which oh. includes a bunch of stuff. Like if you're not doing Premiere work, why would you pay for Premiere? You know, uh, they they sell various bundles, or you can go per application. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Yes, I remember. I think the, the cheapest one is like $10 per month for an app, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think there uh, might be a yeah. cheaper tier for like just Lightroom, but yeah, something like that. Yeah, the main reason was why I want to talk with Adobe, and it will strongly relate to why we're moving subscription services to hardware stuff, is there's a huge cash cow in, in, those, in this problem. With all of the problems that subscription based revenue have like for some specific markets it outweighs like, the revenue of it outweighs all of those uh problems like subscription fatigue making like in a way we don't want to have a subscription for all of the apps and all of the things i own and all of the stuff because it will be too much at one point i want to play like i don't want to have a subscription for my refrigerator if i i extrapolated too much or for 
the small app I use for either taking notes and all of that stuff. I, I want to, for some of those apps, either use the one included in the OS or play a f flat fee and still own it and use it till it breaks. And then when it breaks, I'll see for something else. But I do think that for critical apps, whether you're using them at work or they are critical for your passion work, uh, you'll realize quickly that a lot of those apps, either they're free and they're monetized with other solution, whether it's because they are uh, promoting a platform or promoting hardware sales, if we talk about Apple, or just by you being the product. But I don't want to talk about ad-based revenue today. And then you'll realize that you'll have maybe a couple of apps that those will say, I want to get all of the features all the time and the bug fixes all the time. So you'll want to pay for it. Yeah, I think one of the big things about subscriptions, and as it's become more of a thing, I've had to ask myself this question more and more because all the apps I use are becoming subscriptions, basically. Uh, it's You have to ask yourself, how much value does this give me? And does that value match up with the price that they are doing, that they are charging me? And to give you one of basically a re real life example, my grandma wants to buy her first iPhone and hmm. uh, we were talking about the iPhone eight and she was like, eh, I'm not sure is 64 gigs on the base model enough for me. And I was like, well, I have 64 gigs and it's no problem. And knowing your data, 64 gigs should be fine. But if you want to be sure, uh, because she wants to take a bunch of photos and have a bunch of photos on her phone, you could just pay a dollar a month of iCloud. And she was like, no, 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 no. I'm not paying a subscription. And I was like, you're going to buy a $900 phone and you're telling me that uh, you would rather spend like $130 on extra storage instead of $1 a month, which would cost much less than the $130 over the lifespan of your phone. And some people are just completely opposed to the subscription model where just the fact that it's a subscription causes them to lose track of the actual value of what the subscription represents over the lifespan of the product. Yeah, I, I feel that when you talk about subscription to people and it's related to the fatigue of it, is a lot of people, myself included, depending of the value proposition, I will always like I will quickly go to I need to pay that for life. Is is there is value for life in this product, service, whatever? And for a lot of people, in most cases it's no, but or it's either no because they don't understand the value for it or it's no because it's really no i don't feel there's a lot of value for the next five years in this product but can, that that's where the subscription brings you flexibility and that flexibility aspect is why i think all of those manufacturers are moving are trying to move to subscription i'm not saying they'll be successful but i think that's why they're trying to move to subscriptions actually i can give an example of that flexibility let's say i go to japan this summer take a whole bunch of footage with my phone then i come back home if i want to buy final cut pro to make a documentary or to make a montage video of all of the footage that i shot while i was in japan that's going to cost me what it's 250 300 dollars on the 200 dollars. Yeah, yeah. okay still it's a pretty good chunk of money or i could go to adobe and if I actually managed to finish my product in a month, it will cost me whatever a one-month subscription to Premiere was, and then I can just cancel the subscription, and I don't have to pay for Premiere anymore. I could just pay it for the month. 
Uh, of course, if you have regular usage, then you probably should keep paying for the subscription. But if it's like a one-off project, it is much, it is a much better deal to pay the subscription. It's like renting a car, to be honest. You pay the subscription for a month to do your, uh, video editing. You stop the subscription and it costs you maybe 50 bucks to do that project instead of buying the license for 200 bucks. And of course, if you do maybe more than four products, uh, projects a year, maybe it's worth it to get Final Cut. Maybe it's not. Um, are you reading my notes right now? I didn't mean to steal your car rental thing. You're not stealing my points, but you're helping me make amazing transitions tonight. It seems that you're reading my notes. Oh. But, okay. Maybe this is one of the good episodes. Like, one of the oh. three good episodes. Oh, come on. Now Don't I jinxed it. The- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny because the reason I, why I like that you talk about... Um, renting and pay as you go because that's what you described of if you want to do a video of your stuff you just go on adobe get premiere for a month and then you use it and then you stop your subscription so you pay as you go um is compared to software and a lot of uh, a lot of some of the service the subscription service like one of the example i have that has been there for years is cell phones right they're always been on the spectrum of subscription services whether you not in North America I think now with a lot more uh, manufacturers that are bringing like outright prices for phones I pose a good example uh, it brings more examples but in North America especially Canada and US you always add we're forced to pay never forced to pay but it's always kind of like really like you should pay it per per plan right but if you compare it to cars phones and a lot of software used to have to model either you pay a full price at first and then you own it or you pay per month right like right now you pay per month indefinitely because it's a subscription service if we look at cars cars is a bit different because cars hardware is a physical thing that has that can keep a lot of its value so you can either buy a car outright, you pay and you, you buy with credit, whatever, but you buy the car. So maybe after, like, either you pay cash or after five years, you should have paid a full MSRP or the full retail price of this car. And then it's to you. So you do whatever you want with it. It is owned by you. The other popular option that has been existent for, what, 15, 20 years, I would say, and maybe a bit more is car leasing where's my bell where's my bell ding i'm missing that it's an atp joke (laughs) yes oh wow my goodness i'm really slow tonight oh wow yes yes uh and it's funny you mentioned that because car leasing is it's the bread of and butter of the luxury car market and i'll come back into that but uh if you didn't know what car leasing is because you might never own a car, but car leasing is the manufacturer of the car or the bank assumes that after three years, the car will still be worth 60% of its original value. So you do the monthly payment for the 40% value that you'll use. And then after this two, three, four years, you return the car back either to the bank or mainly the car manufacturer and they do whatever they want with the car and then you can just get a new car. So the general kind of buying tips, and that's not financial advice, but in general, you could identify two types of buyer. Uh, usually the people that were tending to buy the car, whether with finance or outright, 
would be people that would tend to keep their car for longer. So they would be okay to pay the full price, but maybe keep the car for five, six, seven years, 10 years even. Um, to have a kind of a period of maybe four or five years where they don't have car payments because they own the car, they just get the value without paying for it. Or even if they paid outright, they just get the value for a long period and they can like, in a way, uh, propagate the cost of buying this object on a longer period. And car leasing was really for, I wouldn't say it's for tech people, but car leasing is a good example that I wouldn't be surprised that people start to do that for technical stuff, technological stuff. Because car leasing, as you can say, like you just like finance a smaller portion, uh, you finance only the part that you'll use of the car. And since it was a lot, a big residual, you would like return the car. And obviously why uh, car, luxury car makers are, making all their money into that is because they're selling you the car twice they're leasing the car for a couple of years they know that their luxury cars even if some of them have a lot of depreciation in the market but the one that they want you to lease usually have a good residual after three to four years uh, two to four years so then they can put it on the used market and make some amount of money again with that same car so they make money on the depreciation curve by charging the depression curve to you and then they can make a small profit while selling the car to the used market. And also it gives you more flexibility. Since you're not paying the full price of the car, you might have smaller payments and also you might have a better financial flexibility to change your car more frequently. So car leasing was an option that was that is somewhat popular for people that I always want to have a new car in their uh, garage on parking spot. They uh, love cars or they just love new stuff and they always want to be up to date, whether it's technological or the new advancement in and in car engine and all of that stuff. Now comes subscription service at the end of this. So you have either on one side car buying, I would say in the middle of the scale car leasing, and then at the other end car subscription. Like I've been describing for software, a quick summary of car subscription. So it's a for flat, a for a flat and all inclusive monthly fee. You get to drive different cars from a fleet or depending on the service. So the the, the different cars uh, from a fleet depends. Some service it's like leasing plus plus. So it's you pay a bit more, but you have more flexibility of when you can get a new car. Um, but the gist of those subscription is it takes all of the money you need to put in a car except if it's not an electric car, but the gas. So insurance, maintenance, road assistance, cleaning the car, detailing the car, all of this is in one inclusive monthly fee. And if you remember in my uh, car buying episode, I was talking about haggling for the prices. No need to do that. The price is all inclusive, all, all tax included, everything. You get one flat fee and then you own your, you don't own a car. You have to kind of rent slash own slash have a car associated to you for a specific amount of time. A bit like renting, uh, you can be on the subscription service for two months, three months, two days, whatever you want. Usually it's for, since the subscription is a bit uh, less daily, uh, not less daily, but subscription I mean for a couple of months compared to renting maybe for a couple of days, couple of weeks at most, but it's mostly the same concept. You pay one flat fee, 
you get everything is everything is handled but you don't have all of the advantages that comes with being the owner of the car so everything is also all free and also this gives you the flexibility to change car more often a bit like subscription on software the less attractive part of it is the prices and i'll start to uh, mention a couple of examples from some of the pilot plans the pilot ideas some of the uh, services that have been started in the u.s because none of them are in canada just yet i think the only one that will be coming in canada is care by volvo but uh, you'll see that all of the brands i'll be naming are luxury brands so book by cadillac care by volvo porsche passport access by bmw and then we have also a mercedes-benz collection i think that's the one that's the latest one that has been announced and uh ford is kind of backing canvas so canvas is its own service it's like four and it's only four cars on it so it's a bit strange what's the relationship between canvas and ford but that's another one and i think uh, hyundai also has a one that is for electric cars only so ford and uh, hyundai are mainly the two kind of uh, normal people brands that has their own services uh, if i can give you some example like book by cadillac will charge you a thousand five hundred dollars per month for their services so that's not cheap and i'm sure if you pay a thousand five hundred dollar per month for owning a car with all included like insurance and everything you're getting a really really nice car uh, and it can be even higher uh, porsche passport is two thousand dollars or even three thousand uh, dollars no it's two thousand dollars for their first plan which has specific cars in their fleet and then the three the nearly four thousand dollars per month i think it's the legend plan i forgot their name they have fancy name as you can see they all have fancy names but the the next plan is really with all the sports car which is nearly four thousand usd per month so all of these examples is to demonstrate that the price is quite expensive on the other side you also have canvas uh, the ford one that you can get some like ford fusion small like so more day-to-day -day cars that can be cheaper but like three four hundred dollar range but if you look at the real price like owning a ford fusion for example will never cost you oh, will never cost you like five six hundred dollars per month or maybe three or four uh, if you buy it um, there's also a lot of other example in the Silicon Valley. Uh, main difference with those is they have high price, but uh, they are not uh, just let you letting you uh, share uh, or subscribe to cars from the same manufacturer. They might have a bigger fleet of cars with different brands and models, but the gist of it stays the same. It's you pay one flat fee, no haggling, insurance included, roadside assistance included depending on the plans some or full maintenance or uh, unlimited mileage or some limited mileage of course depends from all of these plans but all of these have one one common point and i think it is being asshole free if you look at their commercial and i'll put link to the care by volvo commercial and even the book by cadillac commercial first of all it all shows rich people let's be honest uh with those prices uh second of all they always want to let you know that you don't need to care about negotiation you don't need to care about insurance oh it's so tedious to call for insurance right oh it's so tedious to negotiate 
this is all care. This is all careless. You, everything is fine. You just use your phone. It's like really pushing the marketing to it is, if you're a lazy bastard, just use our service. That's kind of the underlying message, which is a bit weird, but it is really for like the urban people that have a nice lifestyle. And especially for the book by Cadillac, when you can change car 18 times per year without any fees. Uh, they give you example like, oh, this week I uh, just want to have fun with a car and then go driving. So I'll get one of the sporty Cadillacs like the CTSV. But the next weekend we need to go with friends uh, to the mountains skiing. So I need the big SUV to hold everything. So those services are there because they want you, like we're saying, either you pay as you go or to give you, you exchange ownership by getting more flexibility. And the downside of it is price. All of this, to me, brings me to the concept of hardware as a service. Like I was saying, cell phone and cell phone plans were the main example to that. A lot of technological gadgets are not to that yet. But I feel that if car manufacturers and some startups are successful to this aspect, because Let's be honest, there's a lot of rich people that would like to pay for these. And it is already known that luxury car makers are making shit ton money on lease. So if they can make more money by giving you the impression that you have more flexibility with subscription, they'll try to do so. But what worries me if, if we come to a world where a lot more hardware can only be bought by subscribing to a service, first of all, there won't we won't have be able to enjoy owning stuff and with technology and i think that's one of my not controversial points but i think uh i think what will happen if companies start to push that hardware as a service it will accentuate what a lot of people are calling uh, talking about plan obsolescence not that the manufacturer of not the manufacturer of the physical goods will try to make you buy the new thing, but and by making it break earlier and all of that stuff. But by in since you're paying so much, you will want to use your service, right? You will want to get the new car every six months, every year, for you, depending on your plan. And of course, the people that are building and making money of making sure you get the new shiny new thing every year they will want you to uh, get the shiny new thing. So it will create, it will try to create a fake obsolescence feeling to people and that really rubs me the wrong way. Also, uh, and I'm sure you've been waiting to see what will be my opinion about all of those services as a car person. I do feel that if you have the money to pay to get different car experiences, sure, it could make sense, right? Because... If you don't want to change, like to lease your car every year or every three years, just to make sure that you can drive something or you don't, that's kind of the new style of like car clubs where you pay a fee, uh, you pay a, not a subscription, a membership to a car club and then you have access to kind of a, those renting agents, like luxury renting agencies where you just like, ah, like the members have access to a, a lot of cars. It's more or less to me the same concept, but by the luxury brands themselves. But to me, on the other side, like owning something is kind of, there's kind of some feeling that I don't think you'll be able to 
get with those. It's like, yes, you're all you're trying all of the, the nice new toys, but there's a feeling associated to, especially with cars for, for me, like there's a feeling say, that's my toy. And there's a lot of example, like you, since this is your car, you can do whatever you want with it after it's paid. And whether you can modify it or leave shit in it, leave it dirty, whatever, it's yours, right? Of course, all of this part of the plans, they have fees and everything to let you to make sure that you return the car in good care. But like not caring about making sure you don't break the car because it's not yours. Like to me, owning something is a, is asshole free, but in a different way. You own it, you can do whatever you want, and you don't have to worry in the future that you have to justify what you've done with that object to somebody else. And especially to somebody that will try to find any minute detail to make you charge money. Like you've paid, you've done, and then either you change it when you want to change it or you change it when it's fully broken and it has no value. So I do think that those services are here to stay because there's going to be there are going to be cash cows for car manufacturers. And in the future, it is assumed that if you want to be viable uh, in the car market, I always hear a number of cars, uh, car manufacturer needs to sell it. If you look at uh, the car news cycle, they always talk about like 10 million car, 10 million car per year. And that number is to say like with the economy and the current situation, like car makers are regrouping with themselves to make sure that they are sustainable. They don't need to like reinvent the same pieces in the car all the time. And subscription services like these will help manufacture produce more cars without the downside of making the customer own the car it's like we will own the car we will do everything we need and right now it might be a an, like a, a gas engine car but when people start to getting used to those subscription services to me those services makes a car like it it's really insensitive of a insensibilize a car it makes it really become a point a to point b yes it might be the shiny new bmw or the new porsche it might be the sportest one but you just pay money you want to do what you have to do without with the flexibility of what a car is for a transportation service but maybe in five years they could just replace those services with their like Let's take let's take as an example the Porsche sir, the example and they replace all the 911s by all their like autonomous pods. Like if a lot of the car people the the market the market of people wanting to have a car are in those services. To me, in five, ten, twenty years, when and if we have autonomous car, autonomous car, the transition will be seamless. You won't have to own the autonomous pod. You just pay the service to use it. And if you're already doing that with your gas power card or even your electric car that you're assuming that you should own like it has been for the last 100 years, those services are building the habit. And as a car lover and as a car person, a car enthusiast, that's what wrongs, wrongs me the wrong way with those services. That's why I intend to maybe not try it but that's why i intend to uh use different services so i still plan to own cars but i intend to maybe fill my craving of getting a new cars maybe try the typical renting services and also the uh try the tourist services all of the sharing the service based on the sharing economy where you can get get some of the same benefits 
but really do an do the pay as you go approach without paying astronomers money every month just to be asshole free car ownership. I'm surprised you've been pretty silent. Yeah, I have been. <laughs> <laughs> wow, did I really leave you speechless in that topic? I'm surprised. Not really. I, I'm just. I, I don't want to uh, interject and bring up something that we talked about privately off the podcast, which was uh, your opinion on self-driving cars. Because I, I believe like a couple months ago, you linked me to like this piece, which was about uh, the crash that there was by one of the autonomous vehicles. And there were, there was like this huge debate apparently in the car community about like, if this proves that self-driving cars are terrible or whatever. And hmm. You, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact details, but basically, you seem to be falling on the side of I don't want self-driving cars to win. And while I understand that as a car lover, you probably don't want self-driving cars to become like the predominant way that people travel. I think like there's always going to be like the separation between cars as transportation and cars as hobby, and that I don't think self-driving cars actually encroach at all on cars as hobby the cars as hobby are pretty much safe as far as i can tell um you know what i don't want to comment too much about what you just said because uh, the last part about my conclusion to those services uh, uh, and going through uh car automation is really to build the habit and that's about not the problem but all my opinions about car automations yeah, yeah I, that's why i was wondering if i should bring it up or not okay no yeah because i do plan uh to have a full like, I was about to say what's wrong with like automating cars, but I don't think that what's wrong because uh, if I do a quick a uh, quick tangent quickly because I don't want to spoil that much that topic, but I think the best way to describe my passion about cars is the same way you can describe people's passion about horses right now, and I'm sure I'll explain mm. it in more details. But my point is, horses were a mode of transportation years ago. And it evolved into cars, but there's a lot of people on this planet that still love to ride a horse, and they are able to do so, but not like we used to do. And maybe self-driving cars will kind of do the same for cars. Who knows? I don't want to go too much details with that because I kind of have, want to have a bigger discussion about this. You know what would be really dope is if the episode when we come back would be that episode. Come back after the summer break? Yeah. You know what? I was kind of thinking about that uh, in the last few days. Like, what? A, like, what a nice conclusion to car season by talking about the death of cars. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! Now, now you're pushing to the extreme. I, I'm trolling. I know, I know. So, was really the car like the self-driving car comments at the end of subscription? Was it the only thing you had to maybe pick about? If so, I'm surprised. Super surprised. Uh, so when I was in Switzerland, uh, I got to ride around in some, uh, car sharing services. Uh, theirs is called Mobility. We have one around here called Caminoto. Um, how big is sort of the, well, I know it's a big gap, but like, I don't know the exact pricing, uh, that those community sh car sharing services have versus something like these subscription services. To me, as someone who would, primarily be using this as a beans of getting from point a to point b and not as a i want to have a fancy pants car uh like what kind of gap are we talking about here mm, it could be a couple of hundred dollars per month 
because uh, I know people that would pay in like every usage month, maybe two, three hundred dollars per for that month. Uh, when I did in my first few years in Montreal, since I was uh, uh I had to sell my car that I used for school, and I was in Montreal without a car, so I use a uh, car to go a lot. And for the small stuff, I was doing pay maybe uh, $100 per month. Like it's including gas, including everything. But I was not doing that much. Like and you were saying CD like, CD uh, what was it called? Canvas, the Ford one was like $600? Yeah, I think the cheapest option for our four, uh, like a, like a mid-level focus. And it's like three fifty four hundred dollars which usually this car you can get on ownership like maybe at 250 300 so those would be the cheapest one uh but like if compared to the other one and that's that's what's mind-boggling it seems to me that all of those like the cars the car sharing services are for the average people and then the car subscription it's the same exact thing it's just that it's with for luxury cars the brand new cars uh bigger diversity of models in the lineup and that's why you pay for more because it's the same logic you pay uh for those you don't pay per usage right which is the main difference between car sharing because if you use it mo- a lot it becomes super expensive and it could become cost intuitive not intuitive because uh what i realized with car to go and coming to if you buy a small car the same one that you use um if you use it a lot more or less becomes the same price as owning a car. Yeah. But but if it's really infrequent, that's where the pay-as-you-go is really powerful. These ones are really flat prices. It's not pay-as-you-go. Whether you do 5 kilometers per month or 1,000 kilometers uh, per week, th- for mo- most of those services that, uh, that are being piled uh, right now, they, the price doesn't change. Yeah. And that's one of the big... Ch- the big difference compared to leasing because leasing since it's since it's a statistical estimation of like what's the value after like that amount of mileage after two years or three years uh if you go over the allocated mileage you need to pay fees compared to those it's kind of combining the advantages of leasing where you can change your car every couple of years and then the advantages of car renting services, where usually these days they all have unlimited mileage. Mm. And then the downside is you need to pay a shit ton of money. The other thing that sort of came to mind throughout, like hearing you talk about this stuff, is I always have like this voice in the back of my head of like the media talking about millennials. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my goodness, you should have be you. Sh- should have read the article I had to read to read for this uh, for the preparation and oh my! So God. As, as we know, millennials are both uh, saving and destroying every single institution in the world uh, by eating avocado toast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that millennials, quote unquote, uh, reportedly do is they spend money on experiences over valuing the ownership of certain items and. I think it's sort of in that vein. The problem is I don't think those millennials are necessarily rich enough to pay for uh, this kind of service. Um, but yeah, there there does seem to be like this move away from ownership. Like just talking about like how much music and movies have changed over the last 10 years. Uh, 
nobody really wants to own movies anymore unless it's the only way that they can get to watch a movie. Uh, like, uh, I'm probably going to go to the Studio Ghibli Museum this summer, and I felt really stupid because I still hadn't watched any Studio Ghibli movies. And I, oh my goodness. I, well, now, now I've seen one. Um, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, yeah. You're lucky that Tony's not in this call because he will be like, but when I was looking for them, you. you can't stream them anywhere. You can only buy them on no. Blu-ray. And even then there are limited print runs. Like recently there was a reprint run, which is why I was able to snatch up, uh, my neighbor Totoro, uh, Ooh. which I watched and was pretty great. Um, so at least now I will feel less like, an imposter when I go to the museum this summer with our friends. Um, but yeah, like the, ownership seems like such a weird concept depending on the category of thing you're talking about. And I feel like slowly it's spreading to all of the categories and it's kind of weird to be honest. It is weird. And I think at first, and I, I think what I was trying to demonstrate is I think at first what what capitalism, let's put it this way, I'm exaggerating a bit, but what companies will do is they'll propagate it to physical goods that people are already changing maybe too soon or just like like a phone. Like Your two-year-old phone or your one-year-old phone is not bad. You just want to get a new one because getting the new one is faster or it's a status symbol to get the new one. And it feels to me that phones are a bit what car used to be as a status symbol maybe 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Like getting the new phone in your status circle might be, might bring you to a different uh, status level. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for some people it is. So I would see that's why, like, and car still is, depending on your market, like a good example of that is LA, like people have like, super luxury cars and they live like a two-room apartment because that's what is your status symbol and level in LA. It's like you have the fancy car, but we don't care if you have a shitty house. We just want you want to see everybody. Well, to be fair, they also have to spend a bunch of time in traffic because it's LA. True, <laughs> true. So you want to spend your time it's in a fancy It's practically your house place. at that point. It is. But my point was that it feels to me that subscription services on hardware things goes to the place where people are already kind of doing subscription, but not with all of the advantages. So they are already kind of paying a lot to break contracts for your phone or have higher plans, but not really taking advantage of maybe like having a clause that says every 12 months you can change for free. So that's why it launches those plans right now when you can change your phone every 12 months and then you pay a bit a little bit more than if you were to change it every 24 months. So I have a crazy, stupid idea for a subscription service. Oh, wow. I will wait. Before you say it, are you sure you want to say it on the podcast? Yeah, now I'm not so sure mm -hmm. anymore because it's pretty smart. Uh, Maybe you'll make shit ton of money by selling your idea or executing your idea. Mm, it, but I'm See? too lazy to do that. So I think I'll just say <laughs> it on the podcast instead. Okay, here's a free idea, by free the way. Free idea. Hey, Become we'll rich, everybody. Okay thousand dollars a year you get a rotating gaming pc you don't need to maintain parts for a gaming pc just every six months you ship away your gaming pc you get a new one back in the mail with new parts and what's the price per year you thousand said? Ducks, bucks a year a thousand bucks per year huh right now with the cryptocurrency could you like could companies 
uh, take advantage of graphics cards and just like that's true they could do that with the value of graphics I'll steal your idea. I think I'll steal your idea. I'm quitting my job tomorrow morning. Mm. I'll get in the office and say, like, I quit. Because, like, when you think about it, it's kind of a weird issue because it's like a lot of people uh, we know basically, like, we are willing to admit that PC gaming is better in a performance point of view than consoles are. Like, that is strictly a fact. Like, you can't really deny it. But the problem is, it's kind of a hassle to keep building and upgrading your PC. And it's sort of a treadmill that never ends because every six months there's a new graphics card. Although right now they've sort of slowed down due to cryptocurrencies sucking all of the <laughs> supply. And in fact, th- that's what I was talking to you about earlier today or yesterday. Uh, NVIDIA's newest budget graphics cards are intentionally bad at cryptocurrencies because if they were accidentally good at cryptocurrencies, like the last generation were, uh, they would all be sold out. And they want people to be able to play Overwatch instead of being able to mine for Ethereum or whatever. <laughs> no, we would be the perfect customer for this service, by the way. I know. That, that's why that's I said it. That's the reason it. why we buy... Yeah, that's why we buy uh, home consoles. Exactly. Because I'm just... But now since the PS5 is apparently like three years into the future, according to Sony... Um, okay. It... Home console are slowly but surely coming like PCs now. More or less. So, I don't know. It, it's a weird idea that I had uh, because, like, this week has been Mike builds a gaming PC week on Relay <laughs> FM. Like, every podcast has been about Mike's gaming PC. I, I know you're, like, a couple of weeks behind generally, so maybe you're going to eventually listen to a streak. I'm not a couple of weeks behind. Excuse me. I'm not a couple of weeks. I'm, I am a week behind. Right now, I'm at last week's ATP, just to give you an idea. Okay, okay. So. You're a week behind. Okay, that's better than usual. Uh, no, it's always like this. Come on, <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned the uh, mics because one of my colleague is all just finishes uh gaming PC slash Akintosh, and we had a lot of discussion uh, during the week about uh his process and the fact that is gaming P- is Akintosh is going to be faster than mainly all of the Macs available right yeah, now. Yeah, probably. So, fun discussion at work about that. But yes, you're right. You're right. It's like. We would be the, we would be the perfect customers for this. Service. And like, so Yannick, I think right now we should end everything. No, 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 no. We should end this. Just quit, quit the podcast, quit our job, and then do that. Mm, mm. Well, now we gave everyone our idea, so I don't think that's viable. That's why we need to. That's why we need to end now mm. because. All right then. Uh, so no, no, you can give you a point. Come on, I would just. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say that the other alternative to this uh, subscription service for gaming PCs that I'm proposing, and maybe it already exists, I just haven't searched for it, uh, is you can go buy GPU machines on Amazon EC2 or Azure or any of those cloud things, and you can use some uh, software and install Steam on it with home streaming, and you can have very low latency uh, streaming from an ultra settings, high GPU machine. The problem is you are billed by the hour and it is generally <laughs> like 80 cents an hour to play video games on a cloud gaming PC. And there's still latency, right? It's just very low. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I found the subreddit kishin, for this kishin. stuff and it seems like it works very well. It's just I can see my wallet draining in front of my eyes when I look at the prices and I'm like, mm, maybe it's better I don't do this. So you said 80 cents per hour? Yeah, that's like the average price. Okay. 
it's around $600 per month. If you game for the whole month, like 24-7 for a whole month, it's $600. Yeah, well, I still have to work and shit. I know, no, no, but let's say that you do like 24 hours of, like, let's say we do 24 hours of gaming in three months. So we do f- multiply by four. It's still, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, but you also have to pay for the time that the software installs because you have to install it yourself. You have to pay for the bandwidth for the download of the game. Oh, my um, okay. It becomes expensive. Really yeah. Fast. Whereas if you just pay $1,000 a month, you get the box and the thing, you hook it up to your monitor and voila. Hmm. Wow, wow, wow. So if you want to support our fantastic business ventures, <laughs> you can go to LimitlessPossibility.net. We'll be replacing the, all po- the list of podcasts with a sign-up sheet for our fantastic startup in the coming days. Okay, I'm starting the recording now. <laughs> you can also go to LimitlessPossibility.net slash 90 for show notes for this particular episode. You can find the show on Twitter at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Sakarina, and you can find Ducolivier at Luconoche, that's L-U-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you with our special guest. Well, I'll see you in two weeks with our special guest. Yep. See you in two weeks. Not really, but that's okay. <laughs> see you in a month. <laughs> <laughs>